Well, now, the Women's World Cup has so far, I think you'd agree, produced surprise after surprise, with footballing giants Brazil and Germany knocked out, and significant underdogs like Jamaica and Nigeria and South Africa all advancing to the next round. Plus, it's highlighted incomparably, really, the routine unfairness that accompanies many women's efforts to strive in certain parts of the world. Many developing nations, for instance, have dysfunction baked into their sporting administrations with concerns that this will result in female footballers once again being left behind in terms of pay equity and indeed receiving the money they've been promised by FIFA for playing in this World Cup. On the topic of proper funding, the Jamaica manager, Lorne Donaldson, this week had this message for the footballing world. There's a, there's a platform out there, and I think young girls and young, you know, you know, young women all over the world, they're a smaller country, and they're looking in Africa, what Nigeria has done, and everybody's looking at the smaller country. And I think um, all these governments and everybody, it's time to step up. Cut the bull crap. Step up and support women's football, and let's move along. Well, Joey Lynch is a well-regarded freelance football journalist. He's based in Melbourne, uh, also been closely following the tournament for ESP, and welcome to Saturday Extra. No, thank you very much for having me. Um, You've been following the Jamaican and Nigerian teams closely, I understand. Can you briefly explain some of the issues that Jamaica and Nigeria and also South Africa have had to overcome even to make it to the World Cup, let alone to to uh, to advance beyond the knockout stages? Yeah, well, it it has been a very tangled web. I mean, starting with Jamaica, who have really become one of the fairy tales of the tournament, but they have, for you know, an exceedingly long time, this women's program has battled with its federation for resources to the extent that there have, there were numerous times, you know, in, in the last decade, just within a decade, that the team was actually disbanded by the federation because of lack of resources. And Sadilla uh, Marley, the daughter of Bob Marley, was responsible for funding it and bringing it back to life. In the lead up to this World Cup, there were um, allegations and accusations by the playing group surrounding uh, a lack of proper preparation for the tournament. They weren't able to play friendly games. They weren't able to stage training camps. And there were even reports that they had turned to crowdfunding to help raise some of the extra to help raise money around some of the extras that they would have need to prepare that. Um, they, they were able to get to the World Cup. If that crowdfunding money didn't um, go towards supporting them to actually come to the World Cup, the JFF has come out very strongly against that. But it's they've got a long history of battling for resources, mantling respect in the Caribbean nation. Um, for Nigeria, they had. I mean, this is a team, Nigeria, the Super Falcons. They are they are the premier African power in women's football. They have had a um, almost stranglehold on the Africa Cup of Nations for almost its entire existence, albeit not the last one. But in the lead up to this one, we again, we saw complaints about a lack of compensation that had supposed to have been previously agreed upon. Um, Coach Randy Waldron, their um, Texan uh, coach who also coaches the University of Pittsburgh's women's program in the States, he was out on podcasts slamming the Federation for not paying him and not paying the players and interfering with his squad selection and banishing one of his assistant coaches. And remarkably, the Federation was coming back out and, you know, talking about how bad Randy Waldron was as a coach. They were really at war with each other and it wasn't really the best preparation leading into this one. And then South Africa, who beat, um, well, they didn't actually beat Nigeria. Nigeria got knocked out in the semis, but they won the most recent Africa Cup of Nations. And their last warm-up games before the tournament, they boycotted 
one of their last uh, warm-up games before the tournament. It was um, they were playing Botswana and the team just didn't rock up and um, coach Desiree Ellis had to draft in a whole bunch of players um, from nearby teams, one of whom was 13, uh, to actually play in that game because um, the South African players in the past have accused uh, their federation of not resourcing them properly, not paying them properly and not giving them equitable treatment with the men's team. Well, I mean, all players in this World Cup have been promised an individual payment of 30000 US dollars, which would be life-changing, wouldn't it, for many players from developing countries who only compete as part-timers. Um, and in fact, it doubles to 60000 US for women who make the round of 16. Now, do we expect this money, Joey, to reach the players or will it be gobbled? I mean, it's supposed to be coming direct from FIFA. Will it be gobbled up by football federations? Well, FIFA, before the tournament, Gianni Infantino in his... Um uh, pre-tournament press conference in New Zealand did say that it would be distributed by FIFA to the relevant national associations to subsequently yeah. uh, be doled out to the players. Infantino talked about um, residency laws, tax laws, all of that sort of thing, said that FIFA can't just print money and give it out themselves. Um, but uh, my colleague, Caitlin Murray, who was at that press conference for ESPN, she has uh, she reported that there was, were sources that players would have some level of recourse if that money didn't subsequently be, be delivered to them um, by uh, the relevant national um, federations and also FIFPRO, the global players' union, who was uh, very much involved in lobbying for this increase in direct payments to players, which because when you bear in mind that the average salary of a women's football player around the world is only $14,000, is genuinely life-changing, they'll be involved as well. And I imagine that whilst it wouldn't be ideal if, um, and we can't guarantee the federations are going to dole the money out because got, there are no guarantees in life, FIFA Pro will be very much keeping a close eye on that. And That's whether you can trust FIFA. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> That's another story again. I mean, this is sort of wage theft you're really talking about in a sense, isn't it? Um, uh, you know, if the football, because they often divert the money, or so the talk goes, to the men's game. <laughs> money comes into the federations and it goes to the men's game. Well, that has been the accusations that a lot of women's programs have had in the past. We've, I mean, we've. it's not even something that has been... Uh, restricted to what we would call the rising football nations. We've seen the likes heading into this tournament. Canada, the reigning Olympic champions, they actually entered into this World Cup without a paid, uh, relevant pay deal for this tournament itself. That was reached um, just in the days leading up to their 4-0 defeat against Australia, that interim deal was announced and we've seen England's have even clashed with um, the FA surrounding bonus payments uh, for this tournament. Uh, of course, the US women's national teams long clashes um, with their federation over pay, um, pay equity and equal pay has been very well documented. So it really yeah, is something that um, slow progress has been made, but slow progress, there's a lot of progress that needs to be made overall. Well, maybe just the sheer power of success, Joey, does uh, w will have its own little cleansing effect. There is the hope for that. And, of course, like the spotlight that will be shining now, especially on the likes of South African football and Jamaican football, will be such that they have never experienced before. And these players are being granted a huge platform as well. This is the most covered Women's World Cup in history, I'd feel pretty safe in saying and these players are being asked these questions and they're being reprinted and distributed around the world i mean here we are on australian national radio discussing pay equity for the south african women's team <laughs> they never would have anticipated that years ago so real sunlight being the best disinfectant this success and this focus should hopefully 
if we keep talking about it, help them out. Look, this is a question I haven't. I just sort of picked this up last night when I was reading through something, and you were. I don't know whether you know much about this. That ACL injuries are increasingly prevalent among women uh, playing football. Um, they're between six and eight times more likely to suffer such tears, um, though no one quite knows how to fix them. And, and I'm reading from something I read. It's thought that the relative width of female athletes' pelvises sends more stress through their knees. Um, but most of the training continues to be built on male-based science and experience. Have you have you ta- have you spotted that before? Yeah, it's quite a, a real you know curse in women's football. So many players that we were really excited to be seeing at this tournament uh, are missing with ACL injuries. It's a real shame. And the likes of for Australian fans, um, Kaya Simon, who's in the squad but <coughs> still hasn't been able to play yet because she's recovering from an ACL injury. It's, and you, you're right, there, it, it is happening at a prevalence much greater than the men's game. And there is, there's so many factors involved. There's not just that the players, elite players at the moment are being um, what training regimes they are. It's also the load that is placed on women's football because for a lot of players for so long around the world, like our Australian players would often um, play in what was the W League, is now known as the A-League Women's. They would do a full season of that and then they would immediately jump on a plane and play in the American League. So their off-season sometimes constituted two, three weeks. That wear and tear on the body mm. over the years, there's concerns with whilst the resourcing at the professional level of the game is improving, there's um, resourcing concerns at like junior international teams and you see boys with access to such good training programs and coaching and it's not the same that, mm. you know, girls going through puberty and when they are developing, their bodies aren't getting and that's maybe having an impact as well. And there's mm. also the sociological factors involved, like do women get access to the same resources that you've talked about, the same level of mm. resource, the same treatment as, well, are they treated as their own individual population or is it what's good for the goose? This being men's football is good for the gander and Very women's interesting. football. Very interesting. All right, Joey, um, uh, progressively we're all learning more. Thank you very much indeed. No, thank you for having me. Uh, Joey Lynch, uh, who's covering the World Cup for ESPN. Stream any ABC radio station live and on the go. Discover new podcasts, music and audiobooks, all free on the ABC Listen app.